This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, it's been two games since we last recorded a podcast, and I think it's two markedly different reactions to the performances. The nil-nil draw with Cardiff was met with a great deal of concern, um, a, a lot of negativity, it has to be said, and to be fair, quite a bit of criticism for Steve Bruce to, to handle Conversely, the 5-2 win over Hull at the weekend was met with a great deal of positivity. We've scored some brilliant goals and suddenly all is rosy in the garden again. But Pete, I I think the point to open this podcast is genuinely, particularly when you take just the first half against Hull, where obviously we've got a scrappy goal right at the end of it with an own goal. Is there that much difference between what we did in the first half against Hull and what we've done in pretty much every other game so far this season, apart from the first half against Middlesbrough, which I think was completely different and Bruce just got it utterly wrong that day. Um, But other than that first half against Middlesbrough, was there that much difference in any of the other performances that we've had this season to the first half against Hull? Or is just the main difference that we get that scrappy goal at the end of the, the first half and button keeps the one out at the other end where it hits the crossbar and then we suddenly confidence gets injected into everyone's veins and we come out second half and everything we hit goes in um did did you see a, a massively tactically different performance against Hull or was it purely the confidence of the goal not going in at one end and it and it going in at the other I think the main difference is that yeah but made a couple of good saves that um could have easily been Goals for Hull, um, and then we got that that scrappy goal just before half time. So the yeah, the main difference is is the scoreline really. Um, when you look at like the expected goals, then 
we created a similar amount in both the Cardiff and, and the whole game. Um, it's about 0.45 in the first half. So that's similar. It's a, an all right rate. Anything particularly special. We didn't really blow them out of the water. But yeah, it seems like that the saves that but made against Hull were important. And then getting that goal seemed to give us the confidence to, you know, go into the second half and um, put a few more of our chances away. Because the point I'm trying to driving at here, and because it, it, we occasionally get accused of being negative on this podcast, and that's exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to do here, because people might interpret what I've just said as me trying to pour cold water on the whole win. Actually, what I'm doing is the opposite. I'm trying to say that there was an overreaction after Cardiff from a lot of supporters to purely to the fact that we were four games without a win. But to my eyes, Pete, there genuinely wasn't that much wrong. Yes, I, I could. I felt there was uh, there was some tactical tweaks that needed to be made. Um, I was a little bit concerned that we were constantly crossing the ball into the box when there was not a lot going on in the middle of the middle of the penalty area. But we were creating chances consistently from set set pieces in all of our games so far, and not taking them well we okay they haven't come directly from I think none of the goals have come directly from set pieces in that in that game but I think I'm right in saying three out of the five goals come from second phase uh set pieces in that game so it's still kind of set pieces because that's why the defenders are so high up the field and it's why you've got furlong scoring from outside the box. It's why you've got uh, Daro Shea chesting one in. It's why you've got Connor Townsend in there to win a penalty. And it's why you've got Darnell Furlong slinging in a, in a ball for the for, for the one that was known goal and, and Shemi in there as well, causing all sorts of bother. So actually, I think four of them were second phase of, uh, of a set play. So we are causing problems. It's just we weren't actually getting anything off the back of it. But I, I kind of always felt that it was going to turn to a certain degree. Yes, we do still need to have that focal point centre forward because we're lacking something. I mean, Jed Wallace put in 14 crosses again against Hull. Not enough of them are being met by Albion heads. That is a simple fact. And if we get that target in there, then suddenly we've got this whole other weapon where Jed Wallace's crosses mean something and we're a real threat from them. But we're creating enough chances generally in most games to win most matches. And I don't think we actually look that bad at the back. I mean, OK, Estupinian is, is one where he's hit the bar from Button's save where Button's palmed it onto the bar. That's just an unbelievable through ball from Ryan Woods for me. I, I don't think there's not a lot of players with the quality to even see that ball, let alone play it in, in the championship. And I don't think you can knock, uh, knock that. Plus, Estupinian looks an absolute player as well, uh, by the way. And I think he's I think he's going to score a lot of goals. I think if cheeky uh, outside bet there to say that he could be he could be, he could end up being the top scorer in this division i wouldn't be enormously shocked at that and then the 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 two goals that we concede i think just concentration goes towards the end um and also the changes didn't help i mean he's played furlong going off was a big big thing in in our defensive shape because phillips comes on straight away they score from that side of the field and then taylor goes into that position and he makes a mistake for the second one as well so uh, i i think you can mitigate the goals we conceded and even the one that hit the bar and the other one is just a long range effort that i haven't actually seen it back but it's either a brilliant effort or a bit of bad positioning from button i'd need to see it again to know which one it was but my point is, generally speaking, I think we're pretty solid 
at the back. Yes, we need another weapon up front and we need a physical presence. We need somebody to try and meet those Jed Wallace, Wallace crosses. But we were never far away. We were always creating enough and we were always looked reasonable enough at, at the back. I think the biggest concern, Pete, was that the if the run had continued, that the confidence was going to ebb away and that the fans were going to turn. Yeah, it's important to keep that confidence. Um, like you said, I don't think, apart from the Middlesbrough first half, I don't think we've looked bad defensively at any point, really. We've looked solid. Um, and if you look at the timings of the, the goals and the expected goals from the whole game, then up until, by the time in the when we went 4-0 up, Hull had only created an XG of about 0.25, so they'd barely created anything, and it was only a few big chances after we were already 4-0 up that they created in the whole game. So it was kind of the, us maybe taking a foot off the, the pedal a bit. And I think Ajay might have tried a bit harder to defend the cutback in the first goal, I think it was. And um, had we been level or, or you know, a close scoreline, but he didn't want to, you know, commit a foul and give away a penalty or get booked, sent off or anything like that. So I think it was kind yeah. of... Yeah, we're kind of happy where we were because I mean we, uh, we we've uh, we've seen this weekend, haven't we, in the Premier League, like Koulibaly getting sent off at three nil down for 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 Chelsea, it, it, and it's it's idiotic because the game's gone at that point, and you know we've won that game. There's no there's no point in Ajay trying to get the other side of him accidentally getting his feet tangled up and bringing the lad down. You might as well let him go th- uh, go through and score. To be honest with you, and uh, but as you say, there is no way if that's nil nil or one nil uh, or or basically any score that's close that Ajay is that passive about Estupinian going through for that second goal. Yeah, and that's um, you know that's, it's good to see that he's got that. Um, discipline and experience, I guess, to to not make a stupid challenge there when he he didn't really need to. When you consider the scoreline, um, it just wouldn't be worth the risk to lose him for for a couple of games or or whatever. Um, so that that's a good sign there. And you know, Dara was solid again, and I've been really impressed with his um, passing so far this season and the way that he drives out with the ball, which is really promising. Because at the start of the season, I wasn't. Wasn't sure if he'd be able to play that sort of style. Um, well, just thought. one thing I noted in the data, Pete, and I wanted to chuck this at you that um, I noticed that uh, both Dara and Shemi's touches of the ball are up massively from what they were after, from the Watford game and, and and from some of the other games as well. Because you look at the Cardiff game, and the one thing where they really figured us out was they shut down the fullbacks as our way out from the back. And we, we, we use the centre-halves a lot more in, in this game. And Hull came with, with, with I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as, anywhere near as an aggressive press as Cardiff did, but we got through them really quite easily, largely because we could go out to the fullbacks, but we trusted our centre-halves on the ball, which I, uh, I don't know whether I'm, I'm reading more into the data than there is, but to my eyes, particularly against Cardiff, we weren't doing that and we haven't done that in other games, but he's trusted the two centre-halves on the ball here and it has paid off a bit. Yeah, and um, I think from what we've seen so far this season, that they both look Comfortable on the ball. We knew that Ajay was comfortable carrying the ball and, and making those runs. Um, we've seen it in previous seasons, but I thought I didn't really expect it from Dara. I thought it'd be more um, just kind of very simple pass, 
no dribbles or anything like that. Just keep it simple and, and defend as a defender, as he, you could say he's meant to do. But I think he's actually been quite progressive. Um, he's looked comfortable on the ball, being able to carry it around players, which it gives us options because we're not so pigeonholed into just, you know, get out to Townsend and see if he can play a ball down the line. Um, when your centre-backs are confident on the ball, then it gives you so many more options. Um, and they're not they're not playing into the forwards much, really. It's more in, still into Malumbi and Yukushlu, but if they can beat, the, beat that first line of pressure, then by a pass or by a carry, then it, it just starts to open things up for us, which, you know, is very promising. And I think one thing that Steve Bruce, particularly from fans of other clubs because they like to paint him as this dinosaur and you know crack on do 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 what do what you think you know you 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 can you can say whatever you like about Steve Bruce I I couldn't I couldn't care less as long as our our fans don't say it and and this worries me a little bit when I hear some of them saying it that he's he he's too old school he's tactically naive he's really not tactically naive at all he changed it at half time against Middlesbrough because he could see it wasn't it wasn't working he also completely changed the way we play out from the back because he could see buttons distribution was was a problem and I think after Cardiff as well, Pete, I think he's changed little bits and bobs around. I had a look at the average position um, data for this game compared to Cardiff. And I know it's not data you're massively in love with, but hear me out on this. And the fullbacks were much higher and wider in this game. And Grady in particular, but also Wallace, were more tucked in and a bit closer to Grant and Swift. And suddenly you're seeing that Swift is getting on the ball a lot more. Um, Grady is also making a lot more key passes because why? Because he's not, he's not throwing balls into the box. He's coming in and he's actually playing through balls from, um, from good areas. He had four key passes and, Swift had two key passes. Swift's had three shots, two on target. Grady's had three shots. Suddenly, these players are a lot more involved in the game. Grady's been involved in the game so far, but I feel like he's been involved in them in in wide areas. And Swift, we've genuinely really struggled to get off the periphery of the game and really get him involved in these matches. But I feel like, Bruce, between Cardiff and Hull has identified a problem and what he's done is he's allowed the the fullbacks to provide the width and he's narrowed slightly Wallace and uh, and Grady to try and just give a bit more support to Grant and Swift because he's well aware of the fact that we're not going to get a lot of joy from just throwing balls into the box all the time and also that, that we're not necessarily getting as much joy as we should do from set pieces. And whilst, as I say, we, we, we created a lot of second phases of set pieces. When you look at the stats, six of our, uh, six of our 17 attempts on goal have come, uh, have come from set pieces. So that means 11 of 17, actually it's, it's, sorry, it's nine of 17 because they don't count the own goal and they don't count the penalty. So nine of 17 have come from, um, uh, have, have come from open play. Now we've been running at much lower numbers than that all season. I feel like Bruce has seen where we've been going wrong a little bit and he's, he's tweaked it ahead of this game. He's not, he's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's, when you're not scoring goals, I think that's what a lot of people want want you to do. They want you to change the whole shape of the team. They want you to 
maybe put an extra striker on there or, 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 or maybe not play with two defensive midfielders, play with two further up. But I think Bruce has looked at it and gone, look, there's really not that much wrong here. But if I can get a little bit more support to Grant and Swift and therefore utilise my fullbacks a little bit more for the width, then maybe that resolves the problem. And to be fair to him, it largely has. Yeah, something that was interesting in the Cardiff game was how wide Swift, Swift was playing. It was almost like he was playing as a, a winger. Um, when you looked at his, where he received his passes, they were mostly right on, on that touchline out on the left. Um, and Dian Garner was playing kind of inside of that. So I think, and then against against Tull, it seemed to change and Swift was kind of receiving all over the pitch um, and a lot more centrally than he has been because it's something that we've struggled with for the whole season, I think, is to control that area directly outside the penalty area centrally and in the in the half spaces, which is, you know, a really threatening place to get the ball because you're close to the, getting the ball into the box and you've got it centrally, so you've got options either side. We've struggled there for this season, which is probably why we've struggled to, I mean, create from central areas and create tons of chances. We've created quite a good good amount, but not. I don't think we've had any games where we've deserved to, to batter teams 5-0, really. Hull was our best performance. Um, and you could probably say that about that game, but previously, you know, without controlling that central area, kind of limited in the ways that he created. But Swift received passes in there and he played passes from there and into the penalty area. And I think it was just much better kind of areas to get him involved in than he was against Cardiff, which hopefully we can carry on doing that into future games because if we can get him into that, that area outside the penalty area, then he'll hopefully be able to create create opportunities for his teammates and then take shots like he did and, and score from there because I think the penalty that Townsend won came from a pass that Swift played from that area. Um, obviously, Swift scored from, from there and I think one of the moves... Well, for... the, the, furlong, uh, the furlong goal comes from a, a, a Swift shot that's blocked as well. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I think at least three of them came from Swift having the ball in that area, which is, I mean, it kind of really highlights how threatening it is to get him involved centrally and just why, outside why the hasn't he been involved as because i don't think there's i don't think there's even a case to debate here that he that he has he's probably been one of our least effective players in the first may, maybe not so much second half against middlesbrough but certainly watford he was about the only one that disappointed me and blackburn and cardiff he just never really got into the games uh, for me why has he been so on the periphery because i know we had a little chat about this on 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 twitter and i put forward the idea that you know Swift does like a physical type striker to play off. Is that part of the problem, or is it like, a, a, the, as you say, the wide men being too wide, um, or is it Swift's position a little bit because you talked about him drifting wide against against Cardiff? What what do you see when when you look at why reasons why Swift? It's taken him five games to really get into a match for the Albion. Well, the Cardiff position seemed to be tactical because it was just so obvious that he was playing out there. It seemed. It seemed like Bruce had asked him to to kind of occupy that space rather than him just drifting into there because it was so just so clear when you look at the data from it. Um, but I think I think he might be struggling from the fact that he's not the the complete main man. He's not having to do everything, and um, we kind of really need to get him involved in the final third more than more than anything else. Obviously, for for Redden, he was key kind of from deeper areas and then getting into the advanced areas as well. But if he kind of needs to focus his energies into um you know scoring goals from being dangerous in the final third and scoring goals and creating chances but 
I've mentioned it before that I think there's a slight misconception about what kind of player he is. He's obviously, you know, that attacking midfielder, but I don't think he's a pure creative midfielder. I think he will create um, chances and goals and get assists, but I think his best attributes are actually in his goal scoring and making late runs into the box, making combinations in and around the box to, you know, one twos to, to get into good goal scoring positions and just, yeah, his free kicks as well are obviously very good and, and shots from range. So I think that's, I think I said it in our preview of the season and what to expect. I think we're probably going to get more goals from Swift than we are assists because I think he's more of a goal scorer than a creator. Well, moving on from John Swift to another one of Halbian's attacking threats. And Pete, we do an awful lot of discussing the data, saying what it means to, to, to in, in, in the context of what we've seen with the eye test and everything. But when we sit here and talk about Grady Diangana and analyse his display against Hull, and I think display is the best word to describe it because it was just a pleasure to watch. I don't, I don't think there are any numbers that, that do it justice because it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal performance from a wonderfully gifted footballer. There was one in the second half where the ball's gone up to him and I can't remember who he controlled it through for. It might have been for Townsend, but he's controlled it. Done a controlled through ball with his heel in midair. I'm just like that's that's disgusting. That level of skill, like it's just unbelievable. That the things that that lad can do with a football just absolutely blow my mind. Like I know he's had a bad two years. Um, he's had a difficult two years, largely because he's played. He got the confidence knocked out of him at the start of the Premier League season. And then from there, he's played for Allardyce and he's played for Ishmael, managers who really didn't play in a fashion that was ever going to lend itself to his strengths. But Bruce seems to have made it a priority to get an arm around him and to also build the team around him, which I love. Because for me, I I said this on Gab Sutton's pod, I, I think he's the best player in the championship when he's playing at his best I don't I I think he can reach a level this is this better way of explaining it I think Grady Dingana can reach a level that no other player in the championship can touch I think he can do things that no other player in the championship can touch do I think he's going to reach that level every week do I think he's going to do those things every week no no he's not because he's a he's a young mercurial winger and unfortunately in the championship you're not going to see the best of them every single week but when he is at it there isn't anybody who can get anywhere near his level and his level against Hull was simply staggering and the the only thing the the only thing that was really disappointing about it was that the, the, the guy didn't get the goal that his play deserved I mean that one's thumped back off the inside of the post late on and he absolutely deserved a goal but Pete like I say there aren't numbers to do it justice but he is he is he the best player in the championship when he's at his best for you I think you struggle to find think of anyone better to be honest and probably the most enjoyable to watch as well because he's you know, such a good dribbler. He's got, he plays with a, he plays with flair really, doesn't he? he? When he's on it, you can tell that he really loves, you know, to play, he's enjoying it and he's taking players on and, you know, he's making it, he's making the fans enjoy it really. When Grady's playing at his best, it's a much better, a much better watch than when he's not on the pitch, just because he brings excitement. He, even if he's not creating chances, he just, the way he like, 
wiggles out of tight spaces and, you know, nutmegs people and everything is just, you know, really exciting to watch. And the other thing that's really impressed, impressed me with him this season is, um, the defensive work that he's doing. I was having a quick look through the overall numbers for all the Albion players this season. I think he's one of the highest for successful defensive actions per 90, which probably isn't something that you'd associate Dian Garner with. Um, he was definitely higher than, um, Wallace, which I was kind of surprised about. He just, he makes a ton of interceptions and I think a lot of it comes from that, but it's, yeah. And he's stronger too, isn't it? We've seen five games of him now. There's not, there's not a doubt left in my mind that he's stronger. Yeah, stronger. Um, seems fitter as well. Out of possession, he seems to be making more sprints and which probably adds up with why his, um, interception numbers are high and his defensive actions are high. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting on the ball a lot more in, in dangerous areas. I think the only thing that you could ask from of more is to, to try and see getting the ball a bit more in the box. It tends to be on the edge of the box and, and just inside the box. But if he gets, you know, in that central area on the penalty spot and places like that, then he'll, he'll add goals as well to a season, which, you know, he's going to get assists for sure. Um, but if he can get 10, 15 goals a season, that's going to be absolutely brilliant and going to be a real help for our push for promotion. Yeah, and I think if he plays narrower like he did against uh, against Hull, I think he could well get those goals because it it was lovely seeing him popping up in the penalty area as much as he did. And as you say, he's just such a threat. He's so tricky. No, nobody can get hold of him. That number two for for Hull. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I didn't much care. Um, will have nightmares for weeks about Grady, but he won't be the only one this season. I think you know he will he will twist defenders inside and out, and they they won't know whether they're coming or going by the time Grady's finished with them because he's just that he is just that good, and he is he he is too good for this division. And do you know what? Genuinely, I'm thankful he didn't stand out in a bad side last season, Pete, because I think if he had, I think there'd have been people knocking down our door for him. As it was. I think the kind of money that we would have wanted for him, nobody uh, would be paying. Yeah, hopefully he saves his best one for when the uh, transfer window shuts so we don't have too many lucrative offers to, to be considering. But, you know, if he if he performs like he has in the first few games for the rest of the season, then I wouldn't be surprised if there's interest in him come next summer. I think part of the, the issue, though, with with selling anyone, and, I don't, and there's no interest in Grady as far as I'm aware, so hopefully that's not a problem. But just talking more broadly... Pete, because there's been there's been links around Taylor Gardner Hickman linking linking him with a uh, the, uh, with a move away, but and we've let Mowat go out on loan. The one negative that we have at the moment is that we currently have sixteen one six fit senior outfield players. So by senior, I'm discounting. Ashworth, Ingram, and Cleary. I'm I, I'm considering Taylor Gardner Hickman as a senior player at this point because he's played enough games to be considered one. But and Fellows, I'm not counting him because anybody who's got anything less than sort of like half a dozen league starts, you can't you can't even begin to consider to be a senior player. So we've got 16 senior fit outfield players. This squad is so unbelievably threadbare. I'm re I'm so positive about our starting eleven. I love it. Um, I think yeah, yeah, okay. We do need a more physical centre forward than Grant. Maybe 
buttoning goal I'm still on the fence about. He's made a couple of really good saves against Hull and that has kind of like calmed me down a little bit, but I'm still on the fence about. But then, okay, those two players. But once you go into the rest of it, I am absolutely fine with Furlong, O'Shea, Ajayi, Townsend, Grady, Malumbi, Yukoslu, Wallace, Swift. No issues whatsoever with any of that nine. But then I start to look at what's beyond that. And I'm like, if we get any injuries at centre-half, we've got one, one centre-back. We haven't even got a kid at centre-back as backup because we've sent the only one we've got out on loan. In central midfield, you've got Taylor could come in and Livermore could come in. But Taylor is also your backup at right back. So you can only play one position at a, t- at, at a time. We've got a little bit more options in the wide areas when you look at Phillips and Reach. And then you've got maybe Fellows. You could push Robinson out there if you if you needed to. You could play Taylor in that position as well if you if if you really needed to as well. And then we've got nothing at centre forward, really. I mean, you are, you're you left pl- playing Robinson out of position. I think the starting eleven. If, if 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 by some complete and utter miracle, the, the kind of miracle that Leicester had when they won the league, where nobody got injured pretty much all season, if that whole starting eleven, if you add a centre forward into that, if the rest of them just stayed fit the whole season, I think that is a team that could ease, easily crack top two. But we all know that with the volume of games in the championship, there is absolutely no chance of all of that 11 starting every single game, being fit every single week and not picking up injuries or suspensions. And Pete, once we get beyond those, that starting 11 and the four or five senior outfield players that we've got as backup, there's nothing. You're playing kids after that, aren't you? Yeah, that's the the main concern, really. Um, to be honest, I'm I'm not unhappy with Grant starting as a striker, but I think we do need a different option as well. I think he is a a very good attacker at this level, um, and I'm quite comfortable with him being part of the starting eleven as a striker. But like I said, I, and like you've said, I think we do need a a striker that's you know stronger in the air, more of a, a threat when we're putting crosses into the box as a, a different option. Well, also, if we had if we had that nine and DK coming back, then uh, then Grant becomes another option in the wide areas, and suddenly you, you, your squad looks bulkier in those areas. And if you get that nine, I think almost that attacking three, if you're looking at Grant and the two wide men, you kind of don't really have to worry about, do you? Yeah, and I think we're kind of relying on players that can play in a few different positions, um, players that are versatile. Like, you know, with Grant, you just mentioned, um, Robinson can probably play anywhere in those front four positions if he was asked to. You mentioned Gardner Hickman right back in central midfield and probably even as a a winger if we really needed him there. So I think we're kind of relying on that um, versatility from a few players. But with a couple of injuries, and we could be looking really weak on the bench at least, I think. I think the, the well, the other thing is, sorry, Pete, just to jump in as well. The problem, the problem with utility players as well, is that if they start playing really well in a position, but you get an injury in another position that they can fill out, 
say, for example, we had a couple of injuries at centre-half, and but Yukoslu has been brilliant in central midfield. You've got virtually no choice but to move Yukoslu out of central midfield, where he's been playing really well, and play him at centre-back. And whilst, you know, I appreciate the value of having players who can play multiple positions, what you don't want to be doing is if you get injuries in your defence, that uh, you then have to disrupt your defence to fix that problem. You also don't, you don't want to have to disrupt your midfield as well as your defence to fix just the defence. It's like you're creating two problems to solve one. Yeah, that's, that's the worry with it. Um, and, you know, with even if every player was extremely versatile, then I still wouldn't be happy with the depth that we've got in this squad. Um, because all, all it takes is a suspension or two and then a few injuries. And you, like you say, you're having to rely on some of the kids, which a few of them have been, you know, hyped up as being very talented. But if they've not got experience, I struggle to see how you can actually rely on them if you're trying to push for promotion. Um, and I think one of the, the most promising ones has been sent out on loan in Caleb Taylor, um, which I'm actually quite pleased about because he is getting minutes. And from what I've heard, and what I've looked into, he's actually been very good for, for Cheltenham, um, which is promising. And he may well be pushing for a spot in the in the squad come next year, which is, you know, it's what everyone wants to see is the, the academy players getting their chance and moving up through the ranks. Um, but to throw them straight into the first team without even having loan spells in the men's game is, yeah, it's not something that should be relied upon when you are pushing pushing for um, promotion and you know we mentioned it plenty of times before it all comes back to the fact that any money that was in the club has been taken out for loans for the owners other business ventures absolutely look lie is the problem nobody nobody makes any bones about that lie is fundamentally the problem and we we need to remember that and we, we also need to stick with Steve Bruce and and this team because I think what he's doing with this team is amazing. I think the fact that he has got us playing this well, because I, I genuinely think we've played all right in every game. We've we we've had we were brilliant against Watford. We were brilliant second half against Hull. Where I mean, let's let's not lose sight of the fact that the referee didn't give us two of the most blatant penalties you're ever going to see. Clearly, just out of sympathy for Hull, that should have been seven. Really, um, and, and so we're brilliant against Watford. We're brilliant second half against Borough, and we we were brilliant second half against Hull. But equally, in the other game, I don't, I can't pick out the only forty-five minutes I can pick out where I genuinely think we've played outrightly badly is Middlesbrough away in the first half. Everything else, I think, we've turned out turned out what could be considered at least a passable performance. Not amazing, but passable. And to be doing that where you can't, he can't rotate. He's got two games in a week. He can't rotate his side. I mean, 10 of the 11, 10 of the 11 that started against Cardiff, start against Hull at the weekend. I know it's early season, but nonetheless, these, these are rigorous championship football matches. And if he has to do that all season, if we're getting into March and April, and he's having to still do that, you know, the Easter period. If he's if he's having to play the same squad, two, uh, you know, nine or ten of the same players two days later, it's not it's not enough. It's not good enough. And because of Gauchon Light, Steve Bruce is working with one hand tied behind his back, and we have to stick with Bruce, and we have to stick with the players. Um, and I think that's I think that's massively 
massively important. And equally, we're going to need every single one of those players, which is why I was so disappointed. And anybody who follows me on Twitter is going to know what I'm going to say next because I've I've had a bit of a pop about this and I'm not going to let it lie because I have got a, I've got a platform and I'm going to use it to have my opinion because, well... That's that, that. That's what you guys listen to. You know, whether you like it, whether you agree with me, or whether you don't, that's entirely up to you. And you know, you can you can tell me as much if you don't like it on on social media. I, uh, you know, my, my my Twitter is open for anybody to tweet me. It's fine, but um, I don't understand the abuse to, directed towards Jake Livermore. And no, it it's not. You know. I haven't seen anything that was like horrendous. Um, I certainly haven't seen anything that crosses any legal lines or anything, but just after a five, two win for people to start making comments about how we won the game because Livermore didn't play. I mean, first of all, why have you got to find such a negative straight away? Why have you, why have you always got to, why, why have some people got to find the negative in the positive? He, we didn't win because Livermore didn't play. We won because the other players played well and because the ball went in the back of the net. But it, I mean, you, you, nobody's mentioning the fact that against Cardiff, we were better in the first half when Livermore was on the pitch than when Malumbi came on because Malumbi got himself booked after seven minutes. And as is always the case with Jason Malumbi, when he gets himself onto a yellow card, he's not quite the same player. So, you know, you you point out that we win when uh, when Livermore's not on the pitch and yet, ignore the fact that we were genuinely better against Cardiff and he he was he came closest to breaking the deadlock out of anybody but it, that's not really the point it, it, whether you rate livermore or, or not is not really the point the point is there's there's a time and a place and the time is not when the guy's done absolutely nothing wrong and the, the and the time and the place is also not on a post that the club put out celebrating his 200th appearance for the club and to then start having a go at him I mean, having a go at him as if it's he's picked himself for those 200 games. Also completely forgetting the fact that he was an integral part of our promotion two seasons ago. OK, he hasn't had the best last two seasons. Find me an Albion player who has, thank you very much, because nobody has. We've been garbage for two seasons and Livermore is not on his own in, in having underperformed in the last two years. But I don't see anybody else getting the same level of abuse. I just think it's massively unnecessary. And if anybody thinks we don't need Jake Livermore this season, especially with the, with only having 16 fit senior outfield players, I think they're living in cloud cuckoo land, Pete. If we are going to achieve anything this year, Jake Livermore will play his part. Do I think the first choice central midfield pairing should be Jason Malumbi and OK Yukoslu? Yes, I do. But does that mean I don't think Jake Livermore has any part to play in this team no, you can you can have that opinion that Malumbi and Yukoslu were the best midfield pairing for us without turning it into a negative about Jake. Sorry, that's my soapbox moment over, Pete. I'll I'll throw to you, but I just thought I, I it just staggered me that some people took and I came home absolutely buzzing from the Hawthorns on Saturday, and then I opened Twitter and I just got immediately got dragged down by some trolls. That's what I'll call them, trolls. Uh, and I, I just didn't understand why people always, always have to find the negative in what was such a hugely positive day. Yeah, well, say, Chris, um, I've not got an awful lot to add because I think you've basically covered it all really well there. It just seems a bit of a, an, an obsession, a, a weird obsession with trying to bring down 
Livermore, despite him being our captain and, and one of our players. And he's going to be one of our the key players in this season, even if he's not playing every game, because from what you hear, he's a massive character in the dressing room. And, and that's going to be key as well. So I don't really understand why there's um, such hatred for him. As you say, it's not him that picks picks the team. He's just he's at the club and he's been picked by his managers. So yeah, even if and you even can if never question his commitment either, can you? I could understand it if you if people felt that he was going out and and, and putting half the effort in, but there's no way anybody can question Jake's commitment. Whatever you think of his ability, no, he's always one hundred percent committed. So, quite a few times we've seen him being too committed, which you know it's not it's not great when he's, he kind of goes into the games and and ends up throwing himself into a stupid challenge and getting sent off. But I mean, we've got. Malumbi, he's, he's hardly got a, a clean record for that either. So he's always committed. Sometimes makes stupid mistakes, but like I say, that can happen to any player. Um, and I, yeah, I just don't understand why people would want to have such negativity around the around the club when we've just won five two. I thought everyone would have been happy, celebrating, praising the performances of of the players that played that day. But instead, people want to go onto social media and criticise and try and bring down our players in a, after a day that we should be celebrating. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But to move on from that, and I do want to talk about OK, you costly, because as I say, you know, it just it, I don't agree with the things that have been written about Jake, but it doesn't doesn't mean I don't think I, I don't think that Molumbi and Yukoslu were probably our best central midfield pairing at the moment. And Yukoslu in particular for me, Pete, is just standing out as a class above in this division. I just think he's absolutely, absolutely tremendous. I really do. Um, I, I did think it was worth, it was worth noting that um, he probably tried a little bit too hard against Cardiff to try and be progressive with some of his passes and therefore misplaced a few. And it, it was, a you know, he gave possession away a little bit, but I thought his performance against Hull was tremendous. His strength on the ball is absolutely staggering. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, the thing that I picked out from the data that I don't think many people are talking about, which is an attribute that he makes such a massive difference to us, particularly while DK is out injured, is his aerial ability. He won five aerial duels against Hull. To put that in perspective, Yukoslu has won in one game the same amount of aerial duels as Malumbi and Livermore have won in the whole season combined so far. And I think, I just think that when you're looking at, at where is our outball, where is our way of getting out from, from defence, what if they do close down the fullbacks and the centre halves and Button has to go long? I just think Yukoslu makes such a big difference in that. He can win an aerial duel. He can hold the ball up. He can he he can actually push a bit further forward and go and win that goal kick. And and when balls are getting, you know, teams are going to pump balls in against us. That he offers us that, that physical presence so that we don't get bullied. I think there's a lot of things about okay, you cost lose game that are a huge huge positive for the Albion. But I think one of the things that is possibly being underrated about what he brings is his aerial ability. What do you think? Yeah, it was something that I noticed um, when we had him in the Premier League, just how good he was in the air. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that we're going to see for the whole season. Um, he's excellent at winning the ball in the air, um, which is important if we are going long from button that if he can push on a little bit, then he can potentially be a target. But it's also important for, for defending. If a team's trying to transition and they play a long ball, then you can be comfortable that 
if it drops into the midfield area that Yakuzlu can win the win that ball rather than a centre back having to push up and And potentially at the other end of the field, Pete, because we are such a threat from set pieces. Yeah, potentially. Um I noted last season that he's very good at in the air, but a lot of the time it doesn't seem doesn't seem to attack the ball in the air. He kind of I don't really know how best to describe it, but it seems like his abilities he's not aggressive in the way that he comes forward towards it. Yeah, and it seems like his ability is more suited to winning balls in the air in like the middle of the park and stuff rather than getting on the end of a, a corner or a set piece and put it into the back of the net. Um, or I think he's good even in defending our own box, which is obviously useful from when you look at defensive set pieces and corners. Um, but yeah, it's something that I noted last season. So as I said, we're, we're likely to see it for the whole season. It's not just kind of a, a one-off thing that we've seen in his first few performances. He's going to dominate the air for for the whole season, really. We talked about Jake Livermore being much maligned. I think another player that you and I have, uh, ha- I think we we see a lot more value in than quite a lot of Albion fans because one of the things that I keep seeing on social media when people do their little list of, uh, you know, what do we need? We need a striker. We need, we need another number eight. I agree with both those things, but... Uh, we need a goalkeeper. I might agree with the, with that one as well. And then I and then I keep seeing, and we need another right back. And I think, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. I really like Darnell Furlong. Yes, he is a little bit inconsistent at times, and I don't uh, I don't disagree with that. And he can be a uh, he can be a touch frustrating. And every now and then he has an absolute stinker. But then you see what he can bring to the side in other games. Watford, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And then against Hull at at the weekend, I thought he was absolutely brilliant, Pete. And it's not just because he scored a cracking goal either, because you look at what he brings defensively. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we conceded two goals. One came from that side of the pitch and the other one came from a mistake by Taylor Gardner-Hickman, who was supposed to be playing um, Furlong's position. I don't think it's any coincidence that we've conceded after Furlong's gone off. Because I don't think we looked in any danger of conceding. I thought the guy had a you-shall-not-pass attitude, to be honest. he wins. He's winning everything in the air. He's been absolutely brilliant at cutting out those through balls with his unbelievable leap. I think defensively, I thought he was fantastic. And I thought the same was true against, uh, against Watford. I thought he was a threat going forward. Yes, I still have a problem with how many goals he scores. Because the irony of his goal against Hull is that he scored the easier chance of the two that he's had. I mean, I I haven't seen back the one he missed because uh, I was in the Birmingham Road end, which was obviously completely op- complete opposite end of the uh, end of the pitch. But it looked to me like he completely missed his blooming kick. Um, so he does need to start taking those kind of chances. He, he, he we we said this before, Pete. You said last last season he had he had around a four and a half expected goals. As I've highlighted before, I think he's either second or third on our list of players who've had the most shots so far this season. He does need to start tucking some more of them away, but that was a brilliant finish. And as I say, defensively, he was tremendous. I just think the guy brings so much to the, uh, to the side and yes, he's got to get more consistency into his game. I don't disagree with that, but I think there's enough there for us to not be particularly worrying about the right back position in any real way. Like you say, I I think we both really like him Um, and he's got some really 
useful attributes that are kind of rare and well, kind of rare. Yeah, I mean, not every fullback you get can launch a throw into the box like he can, which is threatening. I know we haven't scored from them for a while, but it is very threatening. And I mean, I really like what we've been doing with them recently as well to basically load the box, but pull Wallace out and just go short into Wallace. And you've got a two on one with that defender that's marking Wallace to then create a chance to get a cross in for whilst you've got the box loaded with a giant O'Shea. Um, so that's a nice little move to throw some variety into the, the long throw routine. Is, uh, am I right in thinking that's where the own goal came from? I think it might be. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think it was actually. So, um, that's shown some success as well. And I think that's largely because of the threat of the long throw that that's why there's so many defenders in there and leaving so much space out wide for us to, to create that 2v1 to get the space to, to put the cross in. Um, and he's obviously excellent in the air and a threat, a threat in the, um, attacking, attacking third as well. Um, like you say, he registered a, a good number, a good level of expected goals last season. Um, and then this season as well, I think he's, I think he's fourth on on the um, list for Albion players beyond Grant Swift and Ajay. He's currently sitting at 0.79. I mean, that that's worth a little mention, though, Pete. How how high Semi Ajay is on that list, given that he he hasn't scored yet. Yeah, but he only registered 0.83 expected goals, so it's it's nothing too concerning at the minute. Um, the same with no, Furlong. I just I just quite like to see, given like I say, given the amount of chances we create from set pieces, I I just like to see a bit more, a little bit more aggression, um, or, or a little bit more composure from our from our centre halves. Yeah, um, you know, I think I think the goals will come from Ajay, um, if he keeps getting into those areas, and we keep keep the good work that we've been doing with the set pieces. I think we're creating chances from them. So, in the first phase as well as the second phase that you mentioned earlier on. So I think as long as we keep getting Jai and Furlong into those areas and keep well they'll keep getting chances and, and even if they you know, sometimes it's the it's the long shot from the edge of the box that actually goes in that's a worse quality chance than some of the chances that Furlong had in the first few games. These low XG shots flying in are they they they're killing your numbers. <laughs> yeah, but I mean if they're they're going in our favour though I don't really mind. But yeah, you when you Eventually, if you get enough chances, even if they are, if you take enough long shots, one of them is going to fly in. Um, so, yeah, just keep, if Furlong keeps getting into good areas and taking shots, then he will score a few goals this season, I think, and as will Ajay and, and O'Shea for that. Um, you know, he's he's higher up on the expected goal list than players like Wallace and Townsend Robinson, you know, players that you think might be getting some chances, but, you know, O'Shea's up there as well. So I think that really highlights the, importance of our set piece routines and and well the delivery as well that we've got from them so it's nice to have a variety of ways that we can actually create just to finish off pete uh, to look ahead we've obviously got something of a a run of away games coming up one of them in the league cup against derby but then after that we go to huddersfield and then a midweek trip to wigan as well two teams that haven't that, that probably you wouldn't expect to be at the top top end of the league. In fact, two teams that you you might tip to be 
battling towards the bottom. Huddersfield had a bit of a bit of a, a tricky start. Wigan, obviously, a great result against Birmingham at, at the weekend with with ten men um, and got a good good draw against Norwich. So they're going to be tricky opposition, but nonetheless, seem to be still adjusting a little bit to life back in the championship. And how do you view the, those games? And also, Hull were a team that came to play against us as were Middlesbrough as were Watford and that's where we tend to see our better performances um, because when the likes of Cardiff who showed very little inclination to go and get the win and I actually thought that there was a point late in the second half where if they put their hammer down and actually gone for it that they might have been able to win the game because they were they were causing us a few a, a few problems and then Blackburn similarly just rely on very, very, very much that most of their shots will go in. And you've seen in the last couple of games when they're not going in, how the results can turn against them. But we struggle against those sides that have little inclination to come out and have a go against us. Now, if these two teams that were about to play Huddersfield and, and Wigan view a draw against West Bromwich Albion as a good result, and if other teams going forward into the season view nil-nil against West Brom as an excellent result. Is that a big problem for us in the way that we play? Yeah, I think in games like that, it would be nice to have that target man in the box. Um, I mean, if you can get Wallace whipping crosses into into someone like Andy Carroll, then even if defences are sitting back in a low block, then you're still going to get, well, you're still going to be threatening. Um, less so when you're whipping them into to Grant and Dan Garner at the back post. If we can get Swift involved more in that area, just outside the penalty area centrally, or even if Dan Garner drifts into there and, and gets involved there, as long as we've got someone operating there, then I think we'll have more of a threat with the players that we've got because, yeah, like I say, it's it's not going to be the best method of creation when you're whipping crosses into Carlin Grant into a settled, settled low block. Um, it's a bit different if you're kind of in transition and there's space to go in behind, between the goalkeeper and the defenders and he can attack it there. But if they're really just sitting in, then, you know, it's more of an aerial challenge. You have to rely on your aerial ability rather than you just your movement and, and sharpness of getting in front of the defenders. So I think in that respect, there is potential to struggle, but I'd hope that we've got the quality of players to break down any low blocks. You know, Dan Garner getting back to his best form, he can quite easily commit a man or two and, and open up the, the space in the final third. Um, you know, we've got to try and get Swift involved again in those central areas. Even if we, you know, Wallace has got absolutely brilliant delivery. So, you know, even though even if you are crossing into a crowded box of a, a low block, block, then he might somehow be able to pick out one of our men or, you know, pick out Swift on the edge of the box for cutbacks and that sort of stuff. So with the quality that we've got, I'd like to hope that we can be pushing for, for six points in the next two games. But yeah, like you say, they are probably the kind of games that we might struggle more to create chances than some other games. And I suppose the main positive for us, Pete, is that um, the, the 20 yard strikes have an XG of 0.95 for us. Well, they seem to against Hull, so <laughs> hopefully that can carry on. Yeah, damned be the data. Damned be the data. Well, there you go. That's all we have time for today. Um, but we will be back. Obviously, we'll let the, the, the League Cup game pass and, uh, and the Huddersfield game pass, and we will be back ne- uh, after the Huddersfield game to discuss that. But for now, thanks for listening. And up the baggies.
Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.